This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 602, welcome in as we uh, begin our Wednesday edition of the opening kickoff. Thanks for hanging with us right here on the sports station WNSP. Hey, Mark, good morning. Hey, Lee. Good morning, Nick. <laughs> hey, Nikki. <laughs> okay. All right, two things that really caught my attention yesterday. Obviously, baseball's wish list, and I did watch a lot of the pregame prior to the Japanese-USA or the Samurai Japan team in the World Baseball Classic. And the wish list was that Otani would come in and pitch and face Mike Trout. And, of course, prior to the game, those two were interviewed. They were having photos taken together. As you know, they're arguably the two best players in baseball these days. They both play for the Angels. So what happens? Three to two, ninth inning. USA batting. Otani appearing in relief. Mark, he had not pitched in relief since 2016 prior to coming to the U.S. to pitch for the Angels. He had never pitched in relief, always as a starter. And, and the funny thing was, and, you know, it's hard on radio, but he would be going to the bullpen to warm up and then coming in for his turn at bat. He's going back and forth. This is just how unbelievable this is. So he faces Jeff McNeil, and he walks him. This is the top of the ninth inning. Mookie Betts then hits into a double play. Guess who's coming up? Mike Trout. Baseball couldn't have choreographed it any better. The USA is trailing 3-2. to two. Otani facing Trout. The count goes to 3-2, and two, and he strikes him out on a slider. Boo! USA, USA. <laughs> Otani it's said, our pastime, not theirs. Otani says it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in his uh baseball career trout says all right he got round one on me now again they're teammates with the angels but this was such a big big thing i don't know what the ratings will be because i don't know when they do ratings but i'm sure most of japan was watching this but japan's a very big baseball country i mean huge kind of like the latin american countries but uh, japan wins its third world baseball classic and mark something else that you were involved in because i read your story in ale.com and you did a good job on this one. I was a huge fan of Willis Reed. I mean, I followed the Knicks. They were my team. They weren't good when I first started following them in 1956, but in 1970, they won their first championship because Willis Reed lifted that team on his back with that thigh injury, came out of the uh, locker room, and uh, basically went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Will Chamberlain. He only scored four points, but he scored the first four points of the game. I don't know what it was, but I was listening to a number of people talk about Willis Reed and the love affair for him. I, I've, I'm sure I interviewed him because I used to do interviews in the locker room, but I, I don't remember any poignant moment. I just remember being a big fan of his. Ten years with the Knicks, arguably their best player ever. Um, MVP, two championships, and he passed away yesterday at the age of 80. Yeah, I, when I saw that happen, the first thing I thought of was, uh, this is what Lee's leading with tomorrow. Regardless of anything that's happening, no matter what happens tomorrow, meaning today, 
Lee will leave well, with this. You dug deep into the uh, his life. You you went the extra mile. I I know you didn't see him play. I I don't know how familiar were familiar you were with him. But even today, when you get a player that's hurt, it's and it's like. And he gets back in there. It's like he's pulling a Willis Reed. There's a couple of things in, in sports, and maybe maybe our app people, and you always bring this stuff up, like when a guy goes out, let's say in sports, with an injury and somebody takes over, could he pull a Lou Gehrig? Meaning, you know, when Gehrig took over for Wally Pipp, he went on to play over 2,000 games, and Pipp never got back in the lineup. Well, these days, if an athlete pulls himself up with a with a serious injury, and again, I don't know how serious the injury was, but the, he didn't play in game six, and he did play in game seven, and he comes out of that locker room, and it's supercharged MSG, and, and he the Knicks just went nuts you know, with him in there, and they took over after he scored the first baskets. But there is reference to, hey, he, he's pulling a Willis Reed. So what other instances are there where, it, where you pull a what, name your athlete Huh. That's I think you've named the only two that I might be able to Yeah. Well I bet we're gonna get one or two others out there. Well you 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 get mossed, right? So if, if somebody goes up and catches a one hand makes a one handed grab against you, you've just been mossed. That's probably if you do a T bow, are you like kneeling in the end zone and praying? Or a jump pass. Yeah, or, yeah. I've heard, now, I, there was One a game, the other. there was a quarterback <laughs> last year. One that, leads to the other. That threw a jump pass, and they said, oh, there's a Tebow. Yeah. Um, I'll have to give it some thought. Right. Yeah, that does, I just came to my mind. Cam Newton uh, returned to Auburn yesterday, and, you know, we, we, we kind of speculated that he was trying for a comeback, but according to his brother, Kayla Newton, Kalen was the one who invited him. Kalen finished his career at William and Mary, had a brief stay at Auburn, and he says, "Look, Cam came here to help me." Mm. And Cam did not do an interview afterwards. Mm. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm not sure I'm buying it. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that that's the way it went down. Like they had a conversation, and I, I don't think, but. I saw the headlines. It was can it wasn't about Cam. All these conversations, all these headlines about how it wasn't about Cam. Yes, it was. Of course it was. If it wasn't about Cam, why they announced he was throwing it all? Why they do this big video about I'll be throwing tomorrow at Auburn Pro Day? Of course it was about Cam. The whole there aren't there aren't thirty two blankety blanks that 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 are better than me. Of course it was about Cam. And if you think it wasn't going to be about Cam once the cat was out the bag and he started throwing, then you're naive on top of that. It was all about Cam yesterday. Yeah, I don't know if Kalen's going to be a high draft pick based on what happened. All right, this is for you. You're the coach. And, and <laughs> No, I'm serious. This, this, do you know Dana Altman? The coach yeah. at Oregon. Okay. Yeah. He ripped his fans yesterday. Okay, they had an NIT game, and I had tr – I had trouble wrapping my head around a quote that he made when I first read it okay and I'll get into that but Dana Altman coaches Oregon they were a one seed in the NIT they got beat by Wisconsin yesterday but this is what he said afterwards because he lost it afterwards he said quote why I personally think the NIT is a joke and I'm like serious the Badgers meaning Wisconsin should have boycotted I, I didn't get that reference because later on 
his rant was against the turnout. They only He says they had 3,300 there. He was really upset about this. He said, look, if the school doesn't think that I promote basketball well enough, get rid of me. I'll go take a junior college job. I, I, I like dealing with junior college players. I mean, are you serious, Dana? He just lashed out at the fans for not showing up. That, but what threw me was that comment where he, he, he took the NIT, unless somebody misquoted him, uh, I think the NIT is a joke, and I don't know why he would say that. I mean, if they thought it was a joke, they shouldn't have been in it. They were a top seed, and that which means they were like one of those last four teams out in the NCAA tournament. But, boy, did he lash out at the uh, crowd for not showing up. Um, I would if I were him, I'd tell him to pick his battles a little bit here. I would too. Um, not a good, not a good thing. I don't know if he was just so frustrated they lost by a few points. I don't know if he was so frustrated as he looked around that. I, and I don't know what the capacity is for Oregon basketball. I really don't. But I, I don't think that's that's the thing to do. And and, and the last I, to me, you don't you don't say like you know if they don't want me here. Why are you saying something like that? Why, why, you know, if I can't promote the game any better than this, get rid of me. Well, come on now. He's a good coach. He's been a very good coach over the years. I, I've never so seen he, a meltdown. So he got like after this. He had a meltdown after the game? Yeah, this it's, was afterwards. Well, he, it looks like they lost by three. So yeah. it looks like maybe he was directing his frustration into something other than the actual outcome of the game. It was probably just poor timing on his part. My guess is if he had a little time. And, and taking a deep breath, he would have he would have gone a different direction. It's it's not a good look. Um, There's yeah. another coach who uh, had an interesting. This was more of a lighthearted. I don't know if you know the relationship between Patino and Calipari. It's kind of strained. It, it actually back when it was pretty good, and, and I think Patino, if I read correctly, years ago helped Calipari get his first major job with Massachusetts. But I think when Patino went to Louisville and Calipari went to uh, Kentucky, I, I don't know if it got strained or anything like that. You know how it is in the coaching business, Mark. You're part of it. <laughs> Shakes his head at me. This is me shaking my yeah, head, by shaking the way. It, Yeah. But anyway, what happened during his press conference yesterday, he said, well, I'm back now and I'm hoping to get Calipari off my resume. Here's the deal. Those two coaches are the only coaches in NCAA history that have taken three different teams to the NCAA Final Four. Patino's done it, and so is Calipari. So basically, lightheartedly, Patino was saying, well, now that I'm at St. John's, I have an opportunity to get to the Final Four and get Calipari's name removed from mine. Well, as you can uh, as you can see, when it comes to stuff like that, it's... Guys are, coaches are just as competitive as players are, I guess. More so. I think more so, Mark. I really do. I think coaches, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they take losses harder than players do. Uh, I would think so. Uh, all right. So coming up today, Kane Womack, the South Alabama football coach, uh, will join us at 630. We'll get his thoughts on spring. Uh, you'll have some uh, South Alabama baseball tickets to give away as well early in our show. Dan Jennings will be along for the uh, World Baseball Classic Roundup. That's at 7 o'clock. Brian Matthews on Auburn's Pro Day. Although, counter to what Kalen and Cam say, what's the first thing I that comes to mind when I ask you about 
Auburn's pro day yesterday, Cam Newton. So we'll talk about Cam Newton. Uh, Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide, will join us at 8 o'clock. Richie Riley, South Alabama basketball coach at 8.30. We'll have some Chick-fil-A to give away as well. So we're just getting started here on a uh, Wednesday edition. Uh, when we come back, we'll open up phones for you guys. Uh, was Cam's actions yesterday the actions of a selfless brother? Or an older NFL player holding on for yet another shot. We'll get your thoughts on that. And if you're... Uh, what actions in sports do you relate to an athlete? If you're T-bowing, you're jump passing or, or kneeling. Um, we came up with some good ones there. There are a couple in the app we'll share with you. We're just getting started. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station WNSP. This is Will Herring, a member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNSP 105.5. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out. Otani strikes out Trout. And Japan's back on top of the baseball world. 6-20. All right, so yesterday, or 6-21 rather, we, uh, we played the Japanese play-by-play of their big win in the semis. Was there... Nick, was their version of that call as exciting and as pumped up as their win in the semifinal game the day before? Would you like to find out? Yes, yes, let's find out. I got the, like you just pulled out in front of him at the grocery store parking lot. I got the WBC part. Yeah. I understood that. That was the only thing I really could understand, meaning World Baseball Classic. But that obviously was the Japanese version. Didn't he sound mad, though? Um, he sounded kind of mad. Like, he was obviously excited, but well, he, screamed he, like, he sounded excited. like you were screaming, man. Well, like, get out of my spot! You know, oftentimes... I was here waiting first! Oftentimes we hear that, like, well, you know the times we've had a goal scored... You want to step outside? In the World Cup. And it sounds like they're kind of angry when they go on, but that's that's the style, I guess. I mean, like I said, and I was telling you off the air, this is huge in Japan. I, I don't know what the TV ratings would be in the U.S., but I can imagine in Japan that they were claiming there were going to be 65 million people watching this in, in Japan alone because baseball is a, a huge, huge sport over there. And say what you want, but the Japanese— Go ahead. The Japanese, they got, they got a good, good baseball over there. We saw that in the Tom Selleck movie, remember? <laughs> Mr. Baseball. It's awful. We can't be losing the World Baseball Classic. It's our pastime. That's our baby. Well, I would. you know what I'd like to see, though, is the best four out of seven between Japan oh, and God, USA. Oh, God, no. Yeah, that's what I'd like to see. No. End no. of the season. No, no, no. End of the season. Into the regular season? Yeah, like Into, a world, I mean a real world. There'd be a real world series. So we talked a little bit about the timing of this. So, but if you do it after your baseball season, don't guys, aren't guys going to want some downtime from the the season? 
Although I guess there's only well, two or three teams, maybe four teams that yeah. really go that long. I think the adrenaline flow. I mean, it, it, obviously it wouldn't be a problem for Japan that you could just tell. I mean, they were just so pumped up for this. And I think even the Americans, the Americans had a star-studded lineup, over a billion-dollar lineup. The problem was, and I, I, look, the pitching was good, but they didn't. The only position they didn't have their really great players was the pitching. You didn't have the big-time pitchers. You had good ones. And I don't think that was an issue when you lose three to two. Obviously, the lineup, you know, didn't produce more than two runs, and they were both on solo home runs. But I've I've tossed this around. Some have said play it during the All Star break, but there's too many teams involved then, and I I don't know I I don't know, and I I don't know why you would even say well a World Series between the USA and Japan, why not Dominican Republic or why not Puerto Rico? I don't know how they would do it, but uh, I think a, a Japanese USA would be fantastic uh, as a global, as a global entity in baseball. Mm-hmm. Lost our pastime. Th- third time, Japan's won. We've only won one of those. Yep. Can't fault the lineup. We had, like I said, we had a star-studded lineup, a billion-dollar lineup. Well, I, I can fault the lineup. They didn't produce. Well, you can. Bunch of overpaid babies. How about that? All right. Not like in other sports. I don't know. I don't know. Keep going. going. Keep going. going. Now that you're on a roll, don't stop. All right. So I got another one for you. Uh, Nick, what about when someone yells Kobe when you shoot the ball? That that's I mean, it's a little more general thinking of Kobe. Yeah. Uh, And you pull a Buckner, right? Did we mention Buckner? Oh, yeah. You mean right. An an error in a crucial situation. Ball goes through your legs. That's a good one. How about? A Bartman. Yeah, it's a little bit more uh, I've a little heard more that, fan-centric, but yeah, yeah but it's I've heard related that to sports, so we will accept that as an answer for sure. I, I've heard that before where, uh, oh, he pulled a Steve Bartman. Yeah. Maybe reaching over. Yeah, it's probably not a not a, not a good thing to do, actually. If you but. pull an Arenas, you probably brought a gun. Somewhere? Well, there's so many guns out there now. <laughs> I'm like, it's like this mentality. I, there's just so many of them out there. I don't know if that's – you could just say, well, it's just Gilbert Arenas. What about Plaxico Burris? What about Morant, by the way? He's supposed shot to themselves. What about Morant? Yeah, that it's in the running for sure. But I feel like people were referring to John ja Morant as pulling a Gilbert Arenas. Maybe so. But I guess if you shoot yourself – I, I would I would probably say that pulling a Plaxico would go further than pl- uh, and, pulling an Arenas. And not only that, Arenas. Now I don't know he he had it in the locker room, whereas Morant was out in public, and that's what really ticked off the NBA: the fact that he was in a public place and dem- and displayed the the uh, gun. Not that lot. Not that they're happy about a gun being in the locker room either. Don't get me wrong on that. That's not permissible either. But I guess because it was out in public. And of course, when Arenas did it, and I can't even remember the year, you didn't have quite the social media uh, attached to it. But, you know, he paid the price for that too. So, hey, by the way, Nick, did you, you know, we talked about that. I brought it up. Do you know that he was a guest on the Dan Patrick show later that day? Who was? Arenas. Oh, good for him. I know he's got a podcast now. Better than yours? Channing Fry, I think. Better than yours? Probably. 
Oh, come on now. I was trying to give you kudos. Speak up. Tell us how great your podcast I is. I like Gilbert Arenas. He's, he's funny and unfiltered. Much like us here on WNSP. Try to be. Uh, all right. So we're asking for plays in sports or actions in sports. I guess that's the best way to describe it that are actually named after. Yeah. I had a caller suggest Kurt Gibson. Yes. Good one. I was like, oh, I know Leo know that yeah, one. Yeah, he limps out. He wasn't even supposed to play. He was injured. He's in the uh, he's in the back. He's not even in the dugout. Uh, and there they are in the ninth inning against Oakland. It's one of the iconic calls of Vin Scully. And so Gibson grabs a bat. He can barely walk, come, barely walk, comes up to home plate off Dennis Eckersley, arguably one of the, the great relief pitchers of all time. And homers for a Dodger win, and then they but, go on to beat. But Oakland. does anybody ever say he he pulled a Gibson? It's like like we like, like we associate him with that that one memorable play for sure. But I don't know if anybody says, "Oh, he just pulled a Kirk," or he I've just pulled that. a Gibson. I've actually now, heard. I that. have used the, you know, when people say, "I'll be like, hey," like if if you say something, I'll say, "Hey, nice save, Eckersley." Like, but that's not really baseball play oriented. I don't know. I, I feel like if you pull a Willis Reed, people know what you're talking about. If you pull a Tebow or you got Moss or you pulled a Buckner. Oh, those what, are what if you hit that stone cold Steve Austin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, you want me to let everybody know that when we come back, we're going to have South Alabama baseball tickets? That's that's why I was waving these. Okay. So I knew you, you weren't probably going to go, but... Pulling a Shervanian right. there. Yeah. Ooh. All right. So when I say you're pulling a Shervanian, what does it mean? And to be fair, if I say I'm, you're pulling a Triple G or pulling a Heim, what does that mean? Can't be anything good. Not this early in the morning, no. All right. So 629, Kane Womack joins us next right here on the Sports. Look at them Jaguars, look at them Jaguars, love the way they play that game. Look at them Jaguars, scoring them home runs, the Sunbelt's gonna be their fame. All right, 6.33. Oh, well, man, nothing gets the blood pumping like that tune this early in the morning. What you got for us, Lee? Well, I was waiting for the bing. Well, sometimes I feel like you just got to let it play in its original format so people can truly appreciate it. And I don't want to, I don't want to step all over the song, but if you prefer, how's that? I like it. All right. South Alabama hosting Louisiana this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm going to give away four tickets. You can either have the four for Friday night or four for Saturday. The question is yesterday, the South Alabama Jags lost in Montgomery at the boardwalk by a score of six to five. They hit three home runs. Name the Jag who hit two home runs in last night's game against Auburn. And if you know the answer, tell Nick which day you want, either Friday or Saturday. And on the subject of South Alabama, we've got the uh, football coach, Kane Womack, joining us right now. They're into uh, spring practice. Kane, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? 
Hey, good morning. Glad to be on with you guys. Hey, we want you on as, as many times as you can. We want to follow what's going on in spring uh, football. Before we get to what's going on in the field with uh, spring football, were you at Pro Day, South Alabama's Pro Day? I was, yeah. Uh, uh, was that Pro Day, and, and obviously it was a, uh, a really a really well-attended event, um, uh, for, you know, uh, specifically for the scouts that were here. And, and um, you know, we've seen an increase, obviously, in the last two years, Jalen Tolbert uh, and, and some of the buzz that he created. And then you have Jalen Wayne and Darrell Luter, both uh, who, who played played well in the Senior Bowl, had a good week, and, and, and then went to the Combine. And um, some of these are, are drills and and, um, and tests and measurements that they've done for, you know, the fourth or fifth time now since they've finished their season. Uh, but it's another opportunity um, uh, to, to create exposure for them. Uh, and certainly it's awesome uh, to have that many scouts on, on, on our campus, um, you know, on, on top of the Senior Bowl week. Kane, this is the first time I've had a chance to talk to you since the Sunbelt Conference football schedule was released. I wanted to ask you, and I know you can't do anything about it because it's all based on TV, but you've got a Tuesday night game, and yeah. then I think you have a, a Thursday night, and at one point you only played two games in 20 days. Are you okay? I, 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 don't want, I know you can't really criticize it because, like I say, it's all about TV, but as a coach, would you prefer just to play Saturdays and not have to worry about those midweek games? You know, um, I, I see I see the the issues with both. I really do. I mean, I, I see where some coaches would get frustrated, and of, of you know, they they don't they want to always play every Saturday and keep it the same. Um, and in my mind, uh, I like the idea of 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 players and coaches having to adjust and pivot a little bit in a long season, because what you try to do is you try to you try to limit the monotony of, of, of a long football season, right? And so if you can change the schedule just a little bit, you know, a tweak here, a tweak here, you know, we're, we're going to say, hey, this is a Tuesday practice, just like we've always had. Now, that Tuesday practice may happen on a, on a Sunday. It may happen on a Saturday, you know what I mean, based off of whenever you're playing the game. But the schedule is going to stay the same for us. And so if, if, if that gets mixed in a little bit, um, so that we can create more exposure for our school, um, and and certainly for the Sun Belt. You know, I'm I'm good with it. I, I really enjoy a, a midweek game every now and then, especially like the ones that we have this year, where we play Southern Miss on a Tuesday, but we really have a 10-day window leading up to that Tuesday. And then as soon as the game is done, we don't have a fast turnaround either. We've got an 11-day window now. You know, it's one game in 21 days. You know, so you got to keep your team, you know, locked in. But also, it gives us an opportunity to kind of refresh, um, and 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 we will not feel rushed going into that game. Kane Womack, our guest here on WNSP. I'm curious, I know, and I know it's probably fairly early in the process, but what's the mentality of the guys and coming into spring, and is it different than it was a year ago after coming off such a highly successful year? Knowing you got a whole bunch of guys back and and maybe some others around the conference, not so much. I know the expectation is high. Is is the feeling around the program a little different than it was a, a year ago? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think every team takes on a little bit different, um, you know, embodiment. Right? They take on a different personality. Uh, some of it is who the players are that are returning versus who you lost, and then certainly what you did a year ago um, has an effect. 
you know, we, we, this is this is kind of a um, it's a unique opportunity. I mean, we we've we had more wins than we've ever had in program history, and yet at the same time, you know, we had some gut wrenching losses, including you know one yeah. that I thought was was a really embarrassing one in, in our bowl game. And uh, and when you have those moments where you can point to some of the great things that we did as a team to get to 10 wins, uh, the confidence that that builds in your team and also the hunger um, that, that I feel like this team is operating with right now, knowing you know that they left an opportunity out there against UCLA and, and Troy and, and certainly in our bowl game. And so, um, you know, so, uh, so a, a few different emotions and, and, and uh, uh, confidences that we can pull from, from last season that I think will help us uh, going into this year. All right, you just started spring practice, just a few uh, practices. What have, what have you seen so far? Well, I, I think, you know, to your point, uh, there are guys that, that they understand the expectation of this program. Um, you know, they when you have uh, 20 returning starters and you have your coordinators back and, and systems are in place, culture is in place, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be able to hone in on some of the finer details in the first few days of, of spring ball. Now, that's not every player on the team. In fact, we've got a number of guys out defensively right now. In fact, there's, I think there's eight players. Uh, six of those guys are starters um, that, are, that are out on defense for the spring. So uh, what it does is it allows some of these younger guys that, um, that we've recruited to this program um, to get some really meaningful reps. And hopefully, you know, they will come along and either compete for starting jobs or uh, at a bare minimum, right, they're going to create a lot of depth uh, and value for us. Uh, both on special teams and within our defense. And, and then obviously, you know, there's some offensive players that you can point to as well. But um, I, I think the experience is showing itself right now in a positive way. Kane Womack is the head coach of the South Alabama Jag football program. You're scheduled for practice today. So what do, what do you have planned? What are you going to do today? Yeah, so right now we, we have a, a taping. Uh, uh, guys know from 545 to 715, they got an hour and a half window to tape. Uh, get breakfast, which we have our breakfast right here in the in the football facility. Um, uh, Matt Shadid, our assistant head coach, and uh, does a great job of, of getting those things all uh, ready to go. Um, and uh, and and we've got music playing, and they're you know trying to get them get them woke up and all those things, body weight check ins, all that stuff. And then and then we'll do our morning meetings. Um, we'll go position meetings, special teams meetings, uh, have a team meeting. I like to meet with them as a team right before we go on the field. A lot of times uh, coaches flip that and they go team meetings first into positions. But I, I want to set the tone right before we go out there together. Um, and then our players will walk out of that meeting and, and head up for, uh, for for practice. And so we'll go practice for about an hour and 45 minutes, um, really competitive. Uh, you know, there's, it's a fast-paced deal. It's fun to watch and go out there. And, um, and, then, uh, and then our coaches will come back in and evaluate all the film and, and make cut-ups to, to review with our players later. Do you feel like the where you start this spring might be ahead of where you started maybe last spring, which was probably further ahead than where you started in the initial season? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, year year three is a, is a it, it, you know on a personal level. I mean, it, it's 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 fun as a head coach, right, to see processes that you have worked for and you've spent so much time trying to get it right on the front end, right of, of 
well, I, I, I want to build continuity within our program. So that means, well, if you want to do it the same over and over again, you better get it right on the front end, right? Or you're going to have to continue to change things uh, every year. And so what's been really fun is seeing our processes work and now our players and coaches can anticipate those things and they go right to it. And so, you know, schematically, culturally, uh, organizationally, all those things um, are, are, are moving at a much higher rate uh, with a lot more efficiency in year three than they did in year two and one. Well, Coach, thank you for spending a little time with us. Uh, go get taped up, man. We appreciate the time and uh, we look forward to doing it again soon. Okay, all right. Jay's up and Elio. That's Kane Womack, ladies and gentlemen, the South Alabama football coach. Uh, we have a winner for your baseball tickets, Lee. Jonathan is the winner. Looks like he's going to see the Jags. Cole Lawrence uh, was the Jag who hit two home runs last night, but unfortunately for South Alabama, not enough as Auburn prevails 6-5 to five in that uh, one-shot game up there in Montgomery. All right, so uh, when we come back, we'll open up the phones. We've been asking a number of things. We'll get back to this Cam Newton thing, too. Kalen uh, Newton says that it was one of the more selfless things that his brother did. I tend to disagree a little bit. And then, uh, as you know, Willis Reed died yesterday. So we're asking, if you pull a Willis Reed in sports, you know what people are talking about generally. If you get mossed, if you pull a Buckner, if you pull a Chris Webber, if you pull a Tebow, you probably did one or two things. But... Generally, you know what we're talking about. So, are there any other examples in sports where if you pull a name your athlete here, you you automatically know what is being talked about? And if you pull a Shervanian or a Triple G or a Heim, what are you likely doing? These are the hard-hitting questions that we hit. And we'll hit them when we come back right here on the Sports Station. WNFC on WNF something. WNSP. WNSP.com. Stay with us. It's the opening kickoff. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Forever remembered for one of the most iconic moments in NBA history, Willis Reed was the sole and unquestioned leader of the heralded New York Knicks championship teams of the 1970s. Willis was the guy who kept us together. He was the galvanizer for our team. He was the captain. After a standout career at Grambling State University, the Knicks selected the six foot nine center in the second round of the 1964 draft. He made an immediate impact, winning Rookie of the Year honors, but the Knicks still struggled as a team with Reed playing in a crowded front court. Reed asked me, he said, how you like playing so? 649, yeah, welcome back you know, in. Who knows? He said, oh, do you want to keep going? It's four minutes, but knock yourself out. When the decision was made to feature Reed at center in 1968, both he and the Knicks began to take their games to new heights. In 1970, Reed was dominant on both ends of the court and led the Knicks to a franchise record 60 wins, earned the league's most valuable player award, and was the driving force behind New York's run to the NBA Finals. He was uh, the heart uh, of the ball club. What he stood for, that the guy would. Not I got the. Quit. I got the cue. We can go I back was, to regularly scheduled programming now. Yeah, I was hoping that. Uh, and maybe it is at the end of that, the, the, the iconic moment when he entered the game. I, I was at home on my transistor radio listening because they didn't televise the game in the New York area. That game seven 
They had never won a championship. I had suffered through many dismal seasons with the Knicks. And then Reed, they weren't sure he was going to play because of the thigh injury that kept him out of game six. But there he came and scored the first two baskets of the game. And, you know, and back in those days, uh, I'd, I'd go into Madison Square Garden and the days of Bradley, DeBusher, and Reed. But Reed was he was the iconic figure and many think that he's been the greatest Knicks player ever. They've had a few good ones. Ewing, of course, you know, down the road, they never won a championship with Ewing. They came close, but uh, yeah, that really, uh, when I, when I heard about that yesterday, Mark, it really affected me as it did many others. Cause I was tuning in some of the uh, sports stations. Maybe we need to play a little Curtis blow for you. Cause he, he makes a reference to Will Street and in, in his song. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, I didn't think he would be. No. So uh, let me just change subjects. Uh, about two weeks ago, I drove over to uh, Dr. Christopher Mullinix over there on downtown or Boulevard. But guess what? It wasn't for me. What? It was for another member of my family. And so I was in the waiting room. You know how I always talk about I go into the waiting room and I, I don't have to stay there very long? Well, and I didn't because uh, Dr. Mullinix took care of the member of my family. Two, at, two dental implants at one time, Mark. Two at one time. Things are going well as they always are, and and again, the uh, I know the reference and so forth, and you know they they make fun of me for this, but still, I say who makes fun of you? You what? Uh, all the time. Uh, no pain, very little discomfort. So, uh, Doctor Mullenix has suggested that we get pain medicine for the other member of my family, and I said, well, we still have the pain medicine that I never used the first time, and sure enough. Uh, my wife did not need any pain medicine, you know, just maybe a uh, something, you know, for the discomfort, but no pain medicine. So anyway, Dr. Christopher Mullenix and his team at Mobile Oral Facial Surgery, uh, including Dr. Aaron Wallander and uh, Michael Babson, I highly recommend them. You don't need a reference. You could call for an appointment, 471-3381. They're located at 715 Downtown or Boulevard. And, of course, we do thank Dr. Mullenix. He is our title sponsor for our championship drive. Getting reports about 10 minutes ago, I-10 eastbound inside the tunnel. The right lane is blocked due to a wreck, so be advised. I-10 eastbound inside the tunnel. Uh, one lane is blocked due to a wreck. All right, we'll take your phone call, 694-1055. That is the number. Uh, someone said in the app, if you're pulling a Heim, you're, you're taking a cheap shot. <laughs> and that if you pull a Shervanian, you're going to the dentist. I knew that was going to happen. I just yeah. knew it about the dental implants, right? Yeah. I've had, hey, it's uh, it's been a while since I've had another one. So what seven? I'm doing okay. Yeah, they seem to be working for you. They seem to be. A uh, lot of lot of talk about Cam Newton. Look, I thought Cam Newton made some really impressive throws. Also thought he missed on some throws too, but he completed uh, more than he missed on for sure. Kalen uh, Newton comes out and says it was. A, I think the word was selfless. Uh, it wasn't about Cam. He came out there to throw. Uh, for his brother. While I have no doubt they had a conversation, it might have been Kalen's idea. Cam wasn't out there for Kalen. All right, Cam was out there for uh, Cam. Look at it. Uh, first of all, his last school, Kalen, was William and Mary. So then why didn't he have a. Well, of course, William and Mary's not going to have a pro day. So that answers that. Was there any. This is a question I've never. Was there another quarterback that threw? Or was Cam yeah, there was another arm, but. Oh, there was. The problem was, I don't think any of the scouts were out there. To see that other to arm. To see the arms. Well, they were once Cam got out there. I think Cam goes to Auburn to help promote the guys that are there, but let's be real. Cam was also about Cam. 
And don't call in and try to convince me otherwise, because if that if Cam was out there for the other guys, he wouldn't have done a big promotional video talking about how there were 32 blankers more uh, uh, not as good as him. There weren't 32 that were as good as him out there. No, Cam was all about some Cam. So if he called you and said, look, I went there for my brother, what would you do, hang up on him? I wouldn't hang up on him. I was like, come on the air. We'll debate that. Cheap, I'd ask him. Cheap shot. Cheap shot. Is that is that a cheap shot? Not really. I just thought I'd have echo that. <laughs> That's a good one. What, no. they, what about Nick? What they uh, what do the appers think? About no one. No one. No Nobody one. Cares. No one thought enough to think of Nobody Nick. Nobody thinks of us. <laughs> hey Nick, I got something for you. You ready? Yeah. How does Paul George's injury affect the Clippers? Because I was kind of thinking that with Leonard back and doing so well, that maybe they'd have a chance to do something in the playoffs but if george is out and again there's no follow-up we don't know how bad this injury is what does that do to the clippers well if 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 they can't get paul george back then they don't have a shot and a lot of people people have them as a favorite to come out the west so but you can't be missing your second star and expect to have success right right i agree with you and lee show without lee doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, like, y'all are like Kawhi and well, Paul what's gonna happen? And I'm like Russell right. Westbrook. So, Nick, what's going to happen when I go to <laughs> Europe? I'm not taking the tie line with me. Oh, wait a minute. I can't say that yet. I don't have my passport. You know, we'll just have to double down and... We'll hit the free agency Grind market. it out. Make it work. Yeah, yeah, we may have to hit the the, uh, the buyout market. Yeah. Well, one of you is going to have to talk about Dr. Mullinux if I'm not here. I think I think we could do, can do that. that. Yeah. I think I can do that. I had braces for like nine years. Yeah, this what? is true. He had it maybe what? not nine, but he had it for a really you long beat time. Me, no, I, only, I had five correct. five years. I had braces, including yeah. college. Did yeah, you have I them in college? I almost am doubling you on that. You were in, you had braces in college. Uh, the first year or two. Hey, you want to hear a story? True. All right. <laughs> I had braces at a young age. And they completely went haywire. It's as almost as if nothing happened. I don't know what happened, but the teeth went in all different directions, right? We went back to him. He refused to work on me, said, I, I can't do anything about it. So I went to a guy that was just starting out. And then that's how I wound up with braces in college for like two years. Can you imagine that? The so someone that, put braces on you yes. and they made your teeth worse? Yes. And he wouldn't follow and he, and up. And he wouldn't on, fix it? No, he wouldn't fix it. He said, I, I, I don't remember the, the exact, because my parents were the ones talking to him, but he said, I can't do anything about it. Can you imagine that, seriously, in this day and age? I can't do anything about it. So I, they put me in touch. I went to another, I think his last name was Lynch. He was just starting out, too. Hmm. I was but like he, one of his first patients. taken care of? Yeah. All right. He did well. But the first guy... I always thought being an orthodontist is one of the greatest professions ever because once they put those braces on, you go to them once a month and they fix a rubber band or something. Now, maybe it's changed. Maybe it's different. But when I this was back in the 60s, I guess. They had braces back then? Yeah. Probably like the big headgear, right? No, I didn't have that, but I did have to wear at <laughs> night something. What was her name my... Darla from Nemo or whatever? When she comes... <laughs> yeah. How's that for a reference? So when did you start? Uh, like sixth or seventh grade. 
and then all For the way nine years a little after high school. That's incredible. Nine your, years. Your parents got their money's worth on the braces. Grade, there's three, four. Yeah. Either that nine, or they went, went broke two after high school. Eight or nine. Hmm. But and now my teeth are perfect. Yeah. That is a Nick Wiggins guarantee. If you ever see me and I and I flash you a big smile, perfect teeth. Those pearly you know. whites. Yep. Meanwhile, Lee's the only person I know who actually she's got worse from wearing braces. <laughs> it's a true story. Nick, th- knock on wind when you say that because I'm telling you down the road things are going to happen which you can't help. Of course, you don't eat a lot of sugar though, right? Not really, no. Yeah, maybe. But look, I'm I'm not above any cosmetic surgeries, as Mark and I have discussed off the air before. <laughs> what uh, does that mean? <laughs> just the, what we is have. He, a, is, we have. He's a, getting a facelift. Not necessarily a facelift, just a little, maybe a tuck here. I'm and not a, opposed to in it. an injection there. Why would you want to do that? Why do you want anybody look, to mess a, with your face? Lee, there's a reason that Paul Rudd hasn't aged in 30 years. I don't think you're in the same conversation with Paul Rudd yet. Not yet. Oh, I'm going to see your face on People Magazine in about 10 years, Sexiest Man in America? Maybe. You said it, not me. Yeah. It is interesting that that's how you remember about Paul Rudd, though. (laughs) All right. uh, Hour number two is next. We'll kick it off with Dan Jennings, Brian Matthews on Auburn at 7.30, Chris Stewart at 8 o'clock, Richie Riley at 8.30. Stay with us. Plenty left here on the opening kickoff. is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Yep, here we are. Hour number two. It's the opening kickoff here on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for hanging with us. It's the opening kickoff. All right, two major stories. Uh, one, the passing of New York Nick legend, uh, one-time MVP, and the captain, Willis Reed. And the other is what happened last night to wrap up the baseball classic. Uh, and I invite Dan Jennings, the assistant general manager of the Washington Nationals. Danny, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing good, guys. Good morning to you. Great to have you back with us. Were you hoping for Trout to hit a home run? Oh, you know what? I really was because we'd have had a uh, we'd have had a tie game and the drama would have continued. But what a heck of a way to end a uh, what was truly a classic WBC. Um, you know, when I look back at some of the games, I uh, I stayed awake pretty much every uh, night to watch and uh, some of the drama and and probably what stood out to me the most was the contrast of the way different countries played the game and uh, in the end I felt like it came down to Japan who played the game that we all grew up and loved and played it the way 
that we have known forever, and they made the most of it. You know, they they put the ball in play. They didn't strike out. They threw strikes. It was not a it was not a lot of all or nothing type swings. And uh, in the end, they had the better uh, they had the better team. All right, that leads me to my next question. Then many times, as you and I have a lot of conversations, they send you that Washington Nationals send you to the Dominican Republic to Latin America countries. Why not be sending you to uh, Japan? Because they've won now three World Baseball Classics. Maybe some of their players are getting overlooked. Is there a reason that more Japanese players are not playing ball here in the United States? Well, we go, Lee. We scout it pretty hard. Um, they have they have a commitment that they have to make to the Japanese league before they can post to be uh, you know to come into the U.S. and play in the major leagues and so I think you're probably going to see especially after uh, you know Boston went out and uh, and signed a guy you look at what Otani's doing right now which is truly unheard of in the history of baseball. And I think that you're going to start to see more and more guys from Japan uh, who want to make that uh, effort to get over here and play. Uh, you're going to see that begin to happen. Do you think, though, that the Japanese team beating the U.S. And by the way, Japan went undefeated in the World Baseball Classic, kind of diminish the, the USA talent? I, I don't think it diminishes it. I think, you know, if you truly look... Uh, from a standpoint of, of available pitching from America, I don't think that we had our best guys representing the country. Now, there was a multitude of reasons. Some guys have done it, didn't want to do it. You know, a lot of different things factored into that. I read where uh, the 10 highest-rated um, American-born pitchers uh, based upon war wins against replacement, they were not even uh, in the uh, on the roster. So it, it could be injury concerns, different things. But I think what you see there is that Japan they they put so much emphasis into playing in this and what it means that, and they they come fully loaded and uh, they certainly had the better and the better pitching and quality for sure. I think one of the issues, again, is, uh, and, and by the way, this uh, World Baseball Classic will resume in 2026. When is the best time to play it? And, again, I, I, I don't have an answer. I don't know if it's the best time now because a lot of pitchers really aren't in pitching shape. All-star break. But I had a, a thought. Okay, you had a fantastic game last night. Why not the U.S. and Japan in the best four out of seven at the end of the uh, Major League? That would really be a so-called World Series. Wow, that that truly would be. You know what? That's a good idea. Maybe something that uh, that could happen. I like the thought of it. And you know, do you do it at the end? I'm not sure because after the grind of 162 plus the postseason, you got some guys who are pretty well spent. But somewhere in there, you could play a, a, some type of series, whether it's a three game. You know, I've always thought maybe you do all the prelims before the All-Star game and then maybe spread that All-Star breakout like a week and put the finals of the WBC there. Because um, I think you would have guys that, you know, certainly in, in game shape and ready to play. I thought one of the more interesting uh, storylines in exhibition baseball, and by the way, we're, we're closing in, what, March 30th is opening day? 
correct. Did I read correctly where uh, Dusty Baker's son, who I think plays for your team, the Nationals, hit a grand slam home run over Houston to win a game uh, recently? Yeah, so he uh, he actually had a great game against his dad. Uh, Davey Martinez let him take out the lineup in the in the exchange with his father. And then he comes in, he gets a base hit, and then uh, we're down to our last out, and he hits a grand slam to tie it, and we win it. Uh, we win it a few at bats later, and uh, Dusty, it was great. The kid ran down and you know thanked his dad, or he said, "Hey, dad, dinner's on me tonight." That kind of deal. So they had some fun with it, and it was a special moment, I know, for Dusty. And uh, you know he's pulling for his team, but that's also his son. You know, Danny, I know the Mets aren't happy. What happened, Edward Diaz, who <laughs> the celebration, can't blame that on competition. That was the celebration. He's, he's out for the year. I think there was another uh, injury. But yet the players, though, they, they talked it down and said, you know, nothing beats going out and playing for your country. So they kind of made very light of it, the fact, okay, yeah, the injuries are possible. I mean, you could, you could be injured in an exhibition game also. So I don't think that became a major issue. No, I, I agree. I mean, Diaz getting hurt in a celebration, that's just an unfortunate thing. Altuve gets hit on the thumb, and he's got to have surgery, and he's out. But you look in spring training, Justin Turner gets hit in the face with a pitch. Uh, we lose a starter ourselves who blew his arm out and got to have Tommy John. So it's just a part of any game, any sport. It's going to happen. Uh, probably it gets, you know, it gets a broader light shed on it when it occurs in the WBC. And, you know, I mean, an injury is an injury. If it occurs in your camp or if it occurs down in, uh, in Miami in a, in a championship game. So it's an unfortunate part of any sport, but uh, it's going to happen. You want a hypothetical question? You're going to get it. All right. All right. Does Otani stay with the Angels for his career? Uh, career, no. Um, I do think they'll try to make a hard play. Uh, if if Artie Moreno does not sell the team, um, if he sells the team, I think you'd probably have maybe maybe five teams who could get in the bid to go where this money's going to go. And yeah, I mean, this guy, he just he keeps doing things that wow you at that. Like I said, we've never seen in the history of this sport someone who is doing and has done what he's done. So he truly could be and probably will be the first half-a-billion-dollar ball player. Dan Jennings, our guest here on WNSPR. Before we let you go, we were having a, a, a debate or trying to come up with some examples with the passing of Willis Reed. Uh, we, we mentioned that if you pull, if an athlete pulls a Willis Reed, you know exactly what he does, right? If, if, if you pull a, a Buckner or if you pull a Chris Weber or even if you pull a Tebow, guys generally know what you're doing, right? If you pull a Steve Bartman as a fan, you know what people know what you're doing. Are there any other examples that come to mind in, in that regard? Well, you got me on Bartman because that was going to be mine because of it happened to us. Um, you know, the Buckner thing certainly is uh, is a big one. Maybe maybe uh, Leon Lett, you know, the Leon Lett fumble. Uh, yeah. Uh, that That's possibly one. And I forget the, the guy that uh, scored the touch uh, that went the wrong way, ran the Jim, wrong way Jim Marshall. on a fumble return. Jim Marshall, the great uh, lineman. Jim right? Marshall, that's it, yes. Yeah. 
I mean, sometimes it's great to be remembered, and I guess sometimes it's not. <laughs> hey, you got Conseco with a heads-up home run right off his noggin. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, there's some good ones. So we're debating that. And then the question was asked to the, to our listeners, if you pull a Shervanian or a Heim, what, what have you done? Uh, well, I mean, if it's Shervanian, you're getting a discounted rate somewhere and probably a Hall of Fame in some capacity. That was pretty heads-up thinking right there. Uh, <laughs> good for you. Hey, good catch up with you, man. We really do appreciate it. It's been too long. Hope you're doing well, and uh, let's do it again soon. All right, guys. Have a great week. Thank you. That's Dan Jennings, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, all right, coming up, we're going to get you the scoreboard, traffic, and weather. Uh, Brian Matthews was at Auburn's Pro Day. He'll, he'll join us at 730. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide. Uh, set to join us at 8, and Richie Riley, the South Alabama basketball coach, at 8.30. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com, or better yet, give us a call at 694-1055. It's the sports station, WNSP. Stay with us. Hi, this is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. You're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. I'm sure turned him in to on fire. Lifts this ball down the left field line. Has Trey Turner done it again in the championship? You bet he has. 721, welcome back in. Phone lines are open, 694-1055. If you're over the age of 65, if you're still working, Lee, and you're looking to retire in the next 12 months, not Lee, uh, you need to listen up because uh, you need to get Affairs in order when it comes to Medicare. There's a lot of information out there. Aiden Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors. He's the guy that can help you figure all of that stuff out. He's been in the business for more than 13 years. He's an independent guy, works with multiple carriers, and he's helped hundreds just like you in Mobile and Baldwin counties. So uh, if you're confused by what's happening, if you're tired of nonstop solicitation calls, or if you need a local agent, Aiden Marks can help you. He's local, he's knowledgeable, and he has a physical location. That's right. Go see him on Highway 98 across from Terry Thompson, Chevrolet, and Daphne. Or he can come see you. There's never a fee for his services. And he's not trying to sell you insurance. He's simply put, tr- putting you on the right course for your future. Give him a call. 463-0031. That's 463-0031. Aiden Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors. All right, we got some time. If you want to jump in at 694-1055. We have some more uh, suggestions. If you're pulling a Spreewell, uh, as in Latrell Spreewell, you, everybody kind of knows what you're you're doing there. Choking? Yeah. Choke. Uh, another one, coach? how about... It, remember the coach he choked? Wasn't that Carlissimo? Yeah. Yay, Chick-fil-A for me. Um, the other thing, uh, what about if you're pulling a Ryan Leaf? What would you think you're doing Ooh, if you're wow. pulling a Ryan Leaf? That, that could go in a number of ways. Yeah. How how do you view that? Well, it was it was thrown out as an example of throwing a tantrum. Well, a lot of people do that. Yeah, but his he had a meltdown in that in the locker room when he was playing. I don't know if y'all remember that. I don't I don't remember his meltdown being any different than others uh, along the way. I mean, it doesn't. That's not what I would think about it. I I would I hate to say this because I like the guy. Remember he came in studio with us twice, I, I think it was. But I, I would say if you're going to say Ryan Leaf, I would think about a, uh, a high draft pick that didn't work out. Uh, number two behind Manning that just just fizzled. Yeah. 
I don't remember him as a meltdown. I remember, I remember the meltdown in the locker room. Cameras were rolling, and he was just like, "Get out of my face!" And um, but maybe that might have been that might be a stretch. That's why we're that's why we're taking your suggestions. You know, the one we haven't mentioned, although I did earlier, is Wally Pipp. That's perhaps the most famous. The Yankee first baseman back in the 30s or no, the 20s. I'm sorry, the 20s, who sat out with a headache, had a headache. Didn't feel well. Lou Gehrig took over. Pip never got back into the starting lineup. Yeah, we've had some good ones. Um, uh, because of Willis Reed and the passing of Willis Reed, if you pull a Willis Reed, you know what we're doing. You know what's, what's happening. If you get Mossed or if you pull a Buckner or you even pull a Chris Weber, those are some of the other ones. We have a call. Let's, let's go to the phones now. Welcome to WNSP. Go ahead. Mark? Yes, sir. Knock it off already! Knock it off, man! Knock it off! I feel like that's a reference you to something. You recognize that? Mr. Ryan Leaf. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there you go. Well done. Yes, sir. Y'all have a great day. <laughs> Knock it off. Yeah. We should have gotten him to record that. That could have been a sounder. Right. Anytime, anytime I get off the rails and you know we have fun, we could just play that. Knock it see, off. I don't, I don't remember that. I remember let's see, meltdowns. Of course, Jim Moore's meltdown, the head coach of the Saints. I remember his. Yeah. Well, of course, you always bring up Gundy. Gundy just got a reference in the app. Yeah, you always bring up Gundy. Um, what other coaches have had total meltdowns? Well, I think Dana Altman last night had a meltdown. <laughs> You can fire me if you don't think I'm doing a good enough job promoting the program. The only 3,300 show up for my NIT game. Bro, 3,300 for an NIT game is a good thing, right? I don't know what their capacity is there, so I, I can't answer that. I don't know if they're like 10, 12. But, uh, yeah, he had a meltdown after the game. He went on a rant. And in his comment, it seems like he blasted the NIT and then blasted his fan base. I, at the last game of the year, do you really want to blast your fan base seriously? Now, Dana Altman's a very successful coach. He had great years at Creighton, done very well at Oregon. But why Why are you aiming at the – you lost a game. Talk about – why are you blasting the fans? That's, who, that's your base. I mean, and then he blasted the fans and said, look, if, if the school doesn't think I can do an, a good enough job promoting, get rid of me. Oh, that sounds good. I'll coach junior college players. Well, to, and this is not a swipe at the, well, I guess it kind of is, but can you really, can you be critical of your fan base sitting at the podium or wherever he was after you just competed in the NIT? Yeah, you can. You can be critical. I mean, no, you can't. No, I'm sorry. I, I made a mistake. No, you, you I, I don't think you blast your fan base at any time. I mean, if you like if you're if you're Nate Oates or Bruce Pearl and thirty three hundred people show up to the Legacy Arena in Birmingham for the first or second <laughs> round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think you have reason to blast you, your your fan base. Yeah, You got issues there. there. I'll tell you if that ever happened. But seriously, I mean. You know, I don't know what's going on with the Oregon basketball program. They were the top seed. Yeah, the fans were disappointed because they didn't get into the NCAA. They were one of the last four teams out. So, and dude just came off a three-point loss. So, I'm sure he was just venting and 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 chose the wrong venue or wrong um, target for his. But that was a meltdown of all sorts. Like I said, you know, you're ripping your fan base. Yeah, that sounds good. 
I'm sure the the AD and the administration really appreciated that. I'm sure uh, Phil Knight really appreciated that. In the app, Bama fans in bad mood seeing Cam resurge this week. National title and Cam back game memories are too tough to forget. Yeah. Eh, I can't is that buy into it is, that. Mark, I can't does buy into seeing that. Cam out there on that field trigger you? <laughs> no, not me either. No, you know I wasn't triggered at all. I th- I thought Kalen's comments about it being a selfless act were a little off the mark. Well, he actually came out and said, I invited Cam. First of all, why would Kalen be the one to invite him? He wasn't even, he didn't even finish his career at Auburn. How does that work? I'm wondering. That's like getting invited to a party and then inviting your buddy. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I happen to be coming by. I see a party. I go in. I think I'll invite some people here. Maybe Brian Matthews can answer that question. How does Kalen Newton get to invite people? Uh, do you if you pull a Scotty Pippen, are you refusing to go into the game? Good one, good one. I don't know if people say Scotty if you pull a Scotty Pippen. I don't know now after uh, after Lars's story, you pull a Scotty Pippen. You're in a marathon. Long night, yeah. all night, multiple nights for like four years. Brian Matthews is next right here on the Sports Station WNSP. their attitude and I've liked their work ethic and I've liked the way they've uh, desire to be coached. I don't like the inconsistencies that that I have continued to see through six games. And again, I want to say that I think part of that is on on us, the staff, to get fixed. And 7.32, that's the Auburn football coach, Hugh Freeze. Welcome back in. The opening kickoff continues. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP. All right, uh, from Hugh Freeze to Brian Matthews, who covers Auburn for Auburn Sports, on the line with us right now. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Wonderful. Want to start, before we get to Auburn spring practice, want to start out with the pro day. Uh, first of all, were there who who besides Cam Newton threw the football? Were there any other quarterbacks up there? Yeah, Holden threw it. Um, helped out, which is really good. I thought he, you know, threw the ball pretty well. And I thought that um, Shedrick Jackson had a really nice day in front of the scouts. He ran a really fast 40 time and, um, you know, put up some good numbers. And I thought he caught the ball and ran, ran routes well. So, but, you know, he may helped himself a little bit. We'll see. So, is it is it true though that that Kalen Newton, who once played for Auburn briefly as a wide receiver, so is he the, did he invite his famous brother to be to to go to pro day? Is that how it worked that Cam wound up there because of his brother? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Kalen walked on uh, at Auburn, I think, for a year or two, uh, played receiver before transferring back out, and uh, uh, Cam decided to come help out uh, Kalen, uh, you know, for this. On this day, and of course, uh, it was great to see him. It was very popular. A lot of people uh, uh, wanted to meet him and get his autograph and get pictures with him and such. So was it Kalen that caught? So uh, one of the throws that Cam made that went viral was that whole 
roll right, come back left, and uh, I think the receiver ran an out and up, and he just threw an absolute dot. I mean, it was a bomb. I mean, I think I pulled a muscle just watching the video, Brian. But was that was that Kalen who caught that one? He did something like that a couple of times. Um, I, I think that one in particular was Kalen, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, they kind of rotated. But, uh, yeah, he tried to do some different things Cam did in front of the scouts just to show him that he still had it, you know. He's been out of football for a year, but I'm sure he would love to get back into it. Does it does something like a pro day? Does that does that actually get him back into the NFL? Do you think? Personally, I think it's tough once you once you're out to get back in. Very tough. I don't recall many stories like that. So, uh, you know, maybe it gets him a tryout somewhere or something. I just really really don't have a good answer for that. How about Tank Bigsby? I haven't heard his name much. How did his pro day go yesterday? Well, I think he accomplished the one thing he wanted to. You know, he ran out a 40, I think it was a 4-5-something at um, uh, at Indianapolis in the NFL Combine, and he wanted to do better than I think he was, he, I think he took about a tenth, tenth of a second off of it. I think he ran a 4 4 5 or something like that. Uh, so I think he felt good about it. Of course, he participated in uh, all the drills, um, showed he could catch the ball. I think he had maybe one drop that I saw the whole day. Uh, so I thought he did a good job there. How was Cam's accuracy for the most part yesterday? It looked good, fine. Um, you know, I, I did not, honestly, I didn't, didn't really, you know, track that as closely, you know, as maybe some people did, but I thought he, he was pretty accurate. I remember, I remember one throw behind a, a receiver that I can recall. Brian Matthews joining us from Auburn Sports. So bring us up to date on what's going on with Auburn spring practice. I think they're, what, four, five, six days into it? Uh, I think they're doing practice eight today, if I'm not mistaken. All right. And, uh, um, so they're at the midway point, and um, they've had a situational scrimmage last Friday, and they're going to have a, a full-scale type scrimmage this Friday. Bring us up to date, then, on the scrimmage last week. What did you take away from it? Well, of course, we, we weren't there, so we had to talk to people that were there to get some information. It was just situational. It wasn't a full scrimmage. They didn't tackle to the ground or anything like that, but... Um, some standouts offensively. Uh, Kendall Brown had some nice catches. Um, he's a sophomore receiver, played as a true freshman last year. Uh, Kubrick Falk, a true freshman Jack linebacker. Uh, really impressed a lot of uh, different people that were there. And um, he's one that could end up being a starter for him. We'll see. Anything on the quarterback position? Um, you know, I don't think anybody really necessarily stood out, but T.J. Thunder was the best of the bunch. So you said they'll have a scrimmage coming up on uh, Friday. What seems to be the uh, the culture now with Hugh Freeze there? How much? How different is it than from last year? Well, the, the biggest difference I know this Friday were two things. Number one, there are a ton of high-profile uh, recruits there, which is something you know we haven't seen for a couple of years now, right? And then number two, uh, Last Friday was Letterman Day, and they had so many former players. I haven't seen that many former players on Auburn's campus in quite a while. And I, I think that just goes to show you that you freeze values that and bringing those guys back and making them a part of his program. And, you know, I think that was great to see. Spent a lot of time recruiting big linemen, offense, defense. Anything on that offensive line that uh, you, you want to talk about? Recruiting wise, I know they had a big old tackle. I saw, well, I saw a couple of them there uh, last week. I'm sure they'll have some in this week. I, 
I think uh, on Auburn's offensive line, they've really helped themselves with the three transfers and the uh, Juco signing. You know, all four of those guys have a chance to start or be a big part of the uh, playing rotation on the offensive line. So I think they've really transformed that unit uh, over the offseason. Brian Matthews, our guest here on WNSP. Before we let you go, I'm curious, where do you, not necessarily can, but how do you feel about former players coming back to compete or or showcase their talents on Pro Day? Because uh, I kind of go back and forth on it, right? So I feel like it, it could, especially as a guy like Cam, it could distract and take away from the guys that are there that are Auburn players. But at the same time, maybe there's more media attention to an event that maybe wouldn't have as much media attention if a guy like Cam wasn't there. Yeah, and Cam definitely um, draws eyes for sure. And can't be a distraction both. But, um, you know, I think for him to come back and help out Auburn and help out his, uh, you know, his relative is, is really important and was good for him overall. And, um, you know, if he helped, him out, helped himself out a little bit there too, uh, that's a bonus for him. But, um, you know, I thought it was good for everybody to see him and to see him in action and to get him back to Auburn. Well, I know it's been a little rest for the weary there, Brian, but uh, now that basketball's over, we're full-fledged football. How can people yeah. continue to follow everything you guys do for Auburn? I appreciate that. And uh, basketball went straight from playing to uh, recruiting yeah. in the portal. I think Bruce Pearl is going to try to totally revamp this uh, roster as best as it can. So we'll have coverage on that and football. Baseball's got a big series this weekend, softball. All that more, AuburnSports.com. You can follow me on Twitter at BMATAU. Hey, man, good catch up with you. Hope you're doing well, and we look forward to doing it again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Yep. That's uh, Brian Matthews, ladies and gentlemen. We got a cu- we got some time. You want to jump in at 694-1055 on a number of topics we've been discussing, um, including Cam Newton and his pro day. From what I could gather, um, dude still has a cannon, clearly. But I did see him miss on some. Uh, and look, a lot of that's going to be timing with these guys. He probably hadn't been thrown with a lot of these guys. Um, I, I don't necessarily put that on, on cam, but I don't know. Like, like I've talked about, would it be viewed any differently if Tim Tebow went back to Florida cause he was going to give it another try? Probably not. I just feel like you're, you showed up five years late for the prom. I just, um, do you think Florida would welcome him back at a pro day? I think they would. I think th- I think they would. Yeah, I think that I think it you know why? Because I think it would create a little bit of a stir and I, think, I don't think scouts would come dashing in to see him. No, though. I think all I think more scouts would be well, would more scouts be interested in watching Cam at Pro Day than at say Tebow? Yes. I think so too. Only because of the age that I well no, they're actually about the same age, but Tebow was never really considered an NFL right. quarterback, although he did have that so one like, year. But Cam, you know what, Mark? I, I heard what Brian said. He's been out. But I could see some team maybe bringing him in as a backup. I really couldn't. I don't know if he'd want to go in as a backup. That's the problem. Yeah. Like the Houston Texans. Okay, let's take the Houston Texans. They don't have a bona fide quarterback. They have the number two pick. Let's say they get Bryce Young. Maybe uh Carolina takes uh, Stroud, as people say. What would be wrong with inviting Cam with his experience to Houston? And who knows? Maybe he'd, maybe he'd win the starting job and you'd have Bryce Young or a, a quarterback like that learning under him. I, I'll tell you what. I'm Look, I'm not a scout. I don't even profess to be a talent person. But if you gave me the choice 
of maybe having Cam Newton there or let's say Richardson of Florida to start the season, I'm going with Cam. Well, I'm not telling you don't know, but here's the downside to bringing in Cam. And I think this is something that most people will tell you that. So he comes in. Maybe he gets the starting job early on. And so you play him. But at some point you got to hold, you got to hand the reins over. How is he going to take being demoted? What if he doesn't come in as a starter? What if he, what if, what if you say, hey, all right, we'll give you a shot at being the starter, but he's not named starter. At, at what point, and I, I don't say this about Cam, just Cam, but any quarterback in his position, how many are going to then fight uh, with management, coaching? How many of them are going to get on social media and complain that he's not given a shot and that he wants to be the starter? And is he really going to be the guy that helps the youngest guy along and take that job, right? We've had this conversation about Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and all those guys. They don't want to be the one helping the younger guy take snaps at the position he wants to play. I just, I don't think he's ready to be a backup. Well, he doesn't want to be a backup. Obviously, if he signs, if somebody takes a shot at him, he has to check his ego at the door. Easier said than done. But I know with New England, remember they they got rid of him, whereas it looked like he was going to be their starter after Belichick had brought him in. And then I think that's when they went with Mac Jones of yeah. the timeline. So didn't he wind up back at Carolina? Yeah. And like in 2021. But again, it was spotty. So if Cam Newton is really interested in getting back to the NFL, he has to have his agent completely try to convince teams that, that, that he wants to, he wants to compete for the starting job, but but he'll understand, you know, that if he doesn't make it, you know, he'd be a backup. And I don't know how you do that. With that's a him. hard sell, man. Very hard sell. But it, that's the only way it could be done. He's, you can't promise him a starting job. But again, he he is right about. I'm not saying he's better than 32 quarterbacks, but I am saying there are very needy teams in there, as you can tell by Carolina moving up to get a a, a quarterback. And do you want to start the season with a total? untested uh, quarterback like a Stroud or a Bryce Young or a Levis? Or do you want to have somebody at least starting to give them a chance to get their feet wet? That, that's the whole thing. I say you – no, but I think if you're in that position, though, you know you're at ground zero. I say you start the young guy. You don't know what C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young's ceiling is. We know what Cam Newton's ceiling is. We've already seen it. Right? And Carolina, by the way, granted not a very good team, 0-5 the last time – uh, Cam Newton played quarterback for the Panthers. So yeah, I, I have a, a different view on that though. I I don't like throwing a rookie into the uh, fold right away. I, it doesn't normally work. And in, in the history of the NFL, it's sometimes better if they they learn on the sideline. Maybe not the whole year, but some of the year. Let the other Chick Fil A. <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A All right, Lee Trevanian, what do you have for the folks? Since the NCAA tournament expanded to 64 teams in 1985, there's been only one league to have a representative in the Sweet 16 every year since that expansion in 1985. Name the league 
that has had at least one team in the Sweet 16? Do you know the answer? 694-1055. All right. A little Chick-fil-A here this morning. Uh, we're going to talk to Chris Stewart coming up uh, and Richie Riley in hour number three as well. Uh, we talked a lot about Willis Reed. And so we kind of got into the conversation earlier today about if you pull a Willis Reed, you know exactly what you did. If you pull, a, if you get mossed, or if you pull a Buckner in baseball, if you pull a Chris Weber in basketball, you know exactly what we're talking about. Are there other examples in sports where you you, you say you you use a an athlete's name as a verb, and you know exactly what that means? We've gotten some really some pretty good feedback on. Uh, on that, if you pull a spree well, guys generally know what you're doing. And it's not like you're choking, or, it's who yeah. you're choking. Or if you yell Kobe when somebody shoots, you kind of know what's going on there. Do we get a winner? Yes, Rodney is our winner. All right, Rodney, a little Chick fil A. Rodney, quick on the trigger there. Miami, the Hurricanes. They're the only AC. Oh, what am I saying? The ACC is the only league. Miami is the only rep of the ACC, but they are the only league to have at least one team. Since 1985, that's been in there every single year in the Sweet 16. Um, this is a good one. You're pulling a Smalls. If uh, if you're killing me, you're killing me Smalls. You know exactly what you're doing. That's uh, that's a Sandlot reference. We can get into the yeah. fictitious. You know, I'm, you know, I'm all about that. So yes, and it's sure. sports related. So let's do it. Someone in the app said Cam is a top five sideshow. Top five side sideshow. Side I thought they need to get him out to the XFL, man. Or the U.S. How about the U.S.? In some degree, that's a lot like Tebow, right? Tebow, you would argue, was a top five sideshow when, I mean, Probably there was number one. Yeah, I mean, there was very little that chance that he, at least long term, was going to help you on the field. But boy, the media came out in droves. It's probably a good call right there. All right, uh, someone said. Did you see that crazy tragedy in Kentucky where a kid was playing basketball at home? An eight-year-old was dunking by standing on something and the backboard broke and the pole fell down and killed the kid. I did not see that. That sounds like a crazy, awful story, but I guess I'll know what I'll be doing at the break. So I got a little homework here. When we come back, Chris Stewart joins us to talk some Alabama hoops. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station, WNSP. Opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Here we are in hour number three on this Wednesday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. The opening Kickoff continues right here on the sports station, WNSP. All right, the uh, Sweet 16 gets underway tomorrow. Alabama's first game in the Sweet 16 will take place Friday. You'll, of course, hear it on WNSP with Chris Stewart calling the play-by-play and probably another iconic uh, play-by-play call from uh, Chris. Chris, good morning. How are you today? 
Guys, guys, I'm great. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, I appreciate you coming on. You're, you're getting to be pretty famous now with some of your uh, lines that you're using during your broadcast. Is that good or bad? That's good. Well, you never know. No, that's good. So what do you know? Before we even get into the ins and outs of the game, how about a, a preview from what you know about San Diego State? Tough, physical, um, capable of getting hot offensively, but really more known for what they do on the defensive end and, frankly, what they what they do best and who they're more, more closely identified with are teams that have given Alabama some problems, uh, Tennessee, um, in terms of their their physical play, uh, Houston for huge stretches of the matchup there. Now they're not as they're not as skilled, they're not as talented, uh, but they're really good. And they've you know they've got a they've got a culture there that they're used to winning. They've won at least nineteen games in seven straight seventeen straight years in that program. Uh, and the guy that's their head coach and Brian Dutcher, he's in his sixth year. But he's been at uh, San Diego State for 24 seasons, so he was there, um, you know, when they a part of so much of this and the success, and has done a great job. Clearly, as the head coach, having them in there as the five seed and uh, winning the Mountain West, they've they've won it 16 times now, and went 15 and three, and what's a pretty good league. So uh, it's another really good test for Alabama, and uh, they will. They will need to play at a very high level again if they're going to advance to the lead eight for the second time in school history. Chris, this is just a reach out, but if Alabama was hoping not to have a lot of media around Pro Day, they certainly picked a good day to have it Friday. I've contacted three or four media people to try to enlist them on our show Friday and uh, to talk about the Pro Day, and they're all going to Louisville. Well, that's good. That's where look, pro day is important, but uh, as it relates to the current student athletes at Alabama, the the NCAA basketball tournament, the Sweet Sixteen, is is a really big deal. And so I'm uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that there's going to be that that type of coverage for it because it deserves it. So you mentioned about San Diego State physical and this and that. Yet to the average Alabama fan, and I've been asked this question, the number two seed's out, the number three seeds are out, the number four seed is out. Well, you and I know that the teams that are remaining are really, really good, and you can't slip up. Sure. So does this is this again on Nate Oates to make sure his team is mentally prepared to make sure, like, yeah, just because it's a San Diego State and not Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or something like that, you better be ready to play some basketball. Let's put a little pressure on him to uh, get his team let's say, focused on these teams? Well, I don't know that it's any more than usual um, because, you know, you're going to play either the four or the five seed usually in this game. So the five beat the four. There's usually not a ton of separation between those two. And clearly, um, you know, San Diego State was was good enough to win their most recent ball game uh, and pretty impressive that they would beat Charleston. It was a six-point win after they beat a, uh, a good Utah State team in the uh, the previous matchup. Or excuse me, I'm I'm looking back a little bit too far there. Um, but they they're a team that is very talented, very solid. You don't get to the Sweet 16 unless you've shown that you can play well this time of year with the biggest spotlight on you. 
and I, you know, five or a four, it's basically the same thing. And they're they're facing a very talented, very tough squad. And uh, when you are the national number one seed, there's obviously quite a spotlight on you, and that's something they're they've dealt with very, very well throughout the course of the entire year. Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide, our guest here on WNSP. Follow him on Twitter at C Stewart Sports. So go back to uh, the game against Maryland, um, and there was a uh, sequence of plays by Brandon Miller. It was just kind of the wow factor, right? The block shot. Then he goes down and gets the wide-open look. Uh, you you said something in the moment there that caught a lot of people's attention there with the way you called that to the point that you actually kind of reacted to people reacting to it on social media. Can you talk a little bit about the perspective a few days removed from what all that meant and and how much is that kind of that new narrative that's been reported about Brandon Miller off the court kind of impacted that too? Well, you know, those of us that that are around the program and have, have heard and kind of known the bulk of the story um, as long as we have. And if you know Brandon, and I've been you know, not going to sit here and pretend that I'm tight with him, but I have talked to a lot of people that are. I've observed him myself, uh, seen close interaction with players, coaches, and frankly, even my own family, you know, because my kids are around the program, so, uh, and my direct dealings with him. And he has never been anything but respectful, uh, polite. Uh, he's been terrific to be around. And so most of us had understood that the narrative that was out there among some, not everybody, but among some, was not accurate, and it definitely wasn't fair. So as I am describing the sequence, what I was, what I was talking about as the words are coming out of my mouth, when I see the pass go from Mark Sears over to Brandon and he's wide open. You're exactly right. He made a phenomenal block on the defensive end of the floor, grabs the loose ball, throws the outlet pass, and then sprints to the other end so that Mark can find him open on the wing. And so I say in that moment, finds something along the lines of finds Brandon on the wing, and I said, you deserve this. And I'm talking about you deserve the bucket because of what you did on the defensive end. Yeah, yeah. But I heard it, I guess, like you did. And it suddenly, almost before the ball hit the net, the context in my mind went somewhere else, somewhere broader and, I guess, more meaningful. And uh, dang good thing you made it or that would have had nearly the same impact. (laughs) (laughs) It's... Sometimes you get lucky, uh, and as a broadcaster, I guess I was, because just like, you know, if your team's not winning, I can describe the action really, really well from a technical standpoint, but frankly, nobody cares. So you just hope that you get it right when things are going well for your team, and I don't know that I do, but I, I at least got that one, I think. I'm not sure that I would change much about it. It, it, uh, I'm thankful he made it. I'm thankful that that things are going in all areas, I'll put it that way, the direction they are. 
you know, Chris, uh, it leads me to ask you if if somebody told you before your first game that Brandon Miller's not going to score a point, would you think Alabama had a pretty good chance to win? Yeah, simply because of, well, two things. Who they were playing. Uh, and that's not meant disrespectfully to Texas A&M Corpus Christi, but we all knew that Alabama was better, far better. And whether Brandon had even seen the floor or not, Alabama was probably going to win that game. But having seen him, you know, don't forget, and we've talked about this before, so I apologize for being repetitive, but the Houston win maybe is the most impressive win of the season in college basketball, especially when you put it in context of being down 17 points. Brandon didn't have a field goal in that game, not one. I think he finished with eight points. But six of those came at the free throw line in the final minute when you're trying to hold off the number one team in the country on their home floor in front of 7,500 fans. So it was really impressive what he did throughout the course of the game, even though offensively he wasn't anywhere near his best. In fact, it was one of his worst, if not his worst, at that time. Then I go back to the Arkansas game in Fayetteville where he doesn't have a shot in the entire first half. Not, not doesn't make a basket, doesn't take a shot the entire first half. Still impacted the game. Still was, still was playing well, but they did a good job on him defensively, and he didn't force anything. But 14 points, including back-to-back threes in a stretch where Arkansas has cut it from 12 down to two points. And after Noah Clowney made a three, then Brandon made back-to-back threes to get it to 12, and it goes back to 11, and it's over. Bama wound up winning that one by 15. So um, I have seen him impact the game even on the rare night when he doesn't score it well or consistently throughout the course of the ball game. So, yeah, I probably would have felt pretty good about the chances. I wouldn't have felt as uh, good as if you told me he'd scored 30, but – it doesn't shock me in the least that that team played well and won in advance, even on the night when he clearly was not his best. Being reported he's playing with a groin injury, can you see a difference in his play because of that? Uh, probably not the same level of explosiveness that we we saw at times. But, man, he look, in the second game, um, in the win against Maryland, he was terrific. Once he saw the ball go through the basket the first time, it got in rhythm and started to play and, and having more time to uh, to heal up and rest up and get more treatment to Clark Holter, the athletic trainer, um, as, as so many of the guys do that are in that position. But it's this, you know, I've seen it with my own eyes. Clark's fantastic. He's terrific. And um, as good as there is in the country. Yeah. And not at all surprised that he got – the, the, the work that Brandon did, and when people forget, the player has to be consistent, get himself where he's supposed to be to to get that type of treatment and, and do it on a regular basis so he can be uh, have a chance to heal properly. But, but Clark's done a great job of engineering that. You know, we talk so much about Brandon and, you know, freshman of the year and all these honors, but I think Quinterly's really been the standout so far. You know, Lee, that, what you just said there is – a prime example of why this is the number one seed in the country. How many times have we talked for almost 10 minutes as we have right now, and we've talked about a few players, and then we go, oh, but by the way, and then there's somebody else you come to. Uh, And it may be a front-line guy. It may be a guy off the bench. 
Um, JQ's been both at times, but he has been phenomenal uh, when healthy in the postseason. He was two years ago. Um, look, I'm not going to go Colt McCoy and, and you know if JQ doesn't get hurt. But <laughs> hey, I, think the, I think the Notre Dame game. I think the Notre Dame game looks different if Quinterly plays last year in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, you lose him in the first five minutes, for that first ten minutes, whatever it was, with that ACL injury. And the fact that he's been back as long as he has this year, which has allowed him to get himself ready for this moment. And he has been so good in it. And I'm so happy for him. He's a terrific young man. He's great to be around. Um, really happy for him. And to see him get get the opportunity to shine in, in this setting. And hopefully it will continue for another week and a half. We didn't even ask you, and you came up with uh, an answer to one of our questions today. You mentioned Colt McCoy. We were talking about the passing away of Willis Reed. And yeah. anytime there is a player that comes back from an injury and you don't expect it especially, and, oh, he's, he's pulling a Willis Reed. So we've been asking yeah. our audience to go back in history to come up with instances where something has happened where it's so identifiable, a Bill Buckner era, you know, late Yeah, when an athlete's name is used as a verb, that, that's generally either yeah. a really good thing or a really bad thing. So we were asking for examples of that, and uh, I, I think mm. you stumbled upon another one. Man, that's, uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that one, but that's, that's a real, that is a fantastic sports radio <laughs> uh, question and conversation piece. I've sat in the chairs that very similar to what you guys are sitting in right now, and that's a good one. Um, and, and I would have to think about it a little bit more, I guess, to – to come up with one, I, frankly, I do think Brandon's performance against South Carolina uh, the day after. You know, Batty's, uh, you know, you want to ask them to do things that they can do that they're very good at. You know, I've had that before. You, you know, do we want Batty in there all the time when we're in six-man pro? Probably not. But he sure is dang good if he gets out and gets in a one-on-one. Uh, with his hands on the ball. And 827, welcome back in. Real short segment because we went long with Chris Stewart, but our thanks to the voice of the Crimson Tide. We'll talk to uh, Richie Riley coming up here in just a little bit. Yeah, a segment as short as this is brought to you by Community Bank with four locations. And as the sign says, when you enter Community Bank, any of the locations, it's a bank unlike any other, which kind of lends to uh, that uh Basically, branding of the uh, Masters, a tradition unlike any other, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, Mark. Uh, all right, so continue with your comments in the app. Uh, obviously, spent a lot of time on a number of issues. Cam Newton throwing uh, yesterday at Auburn Pro Day, um, the, the passing of Willis Reed, and, um, and a record-setting uh, ordeal by Nick Wiggins. He spent nine years in, in braces. That's tough. But... Not nearly as bad a story. He didn't have it as bad as some people. Lee Shervanian got braces, and it made his teeth worse. Hard to believe, isn't it? It is. It seems it, it seems counter to the purpose of braces. <laughs> but what made the story, the true story, worse, so when my parents took me back to him, he didn't want any part of it. Yeah. Hey, I don't want to deal with this. So, you know, some, you know, like, like Dan Patrick will always say at the end of his show, like, what'd you learn today? This is what I learned today. 
Nine years for Nick and braces, and, and braces actually made Lee's teeth worse. The first time. The first time. Second and then time. they fixed them. Yeah. So Some. braces getting a bad name there. All right. Uh, Richie Riley's next. Stay with us right here on the sports station, WNSP. Continues here on a Wednesday. That music can only mean one thing, sir. Oh, that means we've got South Alabama basketball coach Richie Riley front and center. Coach, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing good, guys. Good morning. All right, I got a good one for you. Obviously, you're in, you're invested in the NCAA tournament, maybe even in NIT. And I, I've often considered you kind of a basketball junkie, right? Yeah, I would I would certainly say that. Did you catch the Eastern Kentucky CBI game last night? I saw the highlights from this crazy game. They've actually had – I'm an Eastern Kentucky alum. I know. So that's why I brought I was, it up, and I was watching it. I was, I was it. for those guys. I, was, I, um, I, I brought it up because I was watching that game for a while. It was a double overtime win for them. Yeah, so all three games of the CBI for them has been, has been won in overtime. Um, the first two were one overtime, and that was a double overtime. Um, so they've had a great run. You know, you go down to these things. We played in one last year, and you're trying to build momentum, and um, especially if your team still has some juice at the end of the year, and, and they they got some good momentum. I think I think they play. I don't know who won Charlotte or Radford. They play one of those two in the finals today or tonight. Um, so so I'm rooting for the Colonels. I, uh, it, it's been cool to watch them. They've they they had a good year, and then they. They really had a good finish here in the CBI. Did you catch the end of the, uh, or it doesn't matter, the end of the front of the Oregon-Wisconsin game, NIT? No, I didn't. It was, um, we got in from the golf course, and I was rushing to get the boys to bed. I ended up not getting to watch any of the Oregon-Wisconsin game. I normally would have watched it. The reason, it's not the game itself. Afterwards, Dana Altman, who I'm pretty sure you're aware of, had a meltdown which I haven't really seen the likes of before. They only had 30, well, I'd say they had 3,300 show up. And he went on a rant after the game, criticizing the fan base, basically said, if I can't do a better job promoting, get rid of me. I'll go coach junior college ball. My question to you is, have you ever had a, a, a memorable rant or a meltdown after a game? I don't know. I, I probably have. I don't know. If I did, I probably don't remember very much of it. If I was that, if I was that frustrated and mad, I probably have. But it's. I saw. I actually saw that on Twitter. What he said, and it's. Um, it's. I mean, it's a problem across the country, pretty much everywhere outside of the places that sell out every single night, no matter what. And that's few and far between. Yeah, people don't come out and watch games anymore. You know, if now if you go to 
you know, a championship game or you go to the Final Four, or, you know, your league championship. Yeah, people will come out, but they, they don't come out anymore. It's a different time. I mean, you look at everywhere across the country. I mean, that's a big game, an NIT game, but they're not excited about it, you know, and they don't show up. And it's, I mean, it's, you don't have those environments that you used to have um, because of social media, because games are so much more accessible to watch on TV. Um, and it's just, it's frustrating because for me anyway, and I'm sure he feels the same way, you want it for your kids. You want it for those players because you see how hard they work and you want a great crowd and you want that environment for them. It's not for you. You know, it's, it's really for your guys. And um, I think sometimes as coaches, it, it is frustrating that you, you want people to come out and support your guys, and, you know, but uh, fans are very fair weather too. You know, Oregon's used to being in the NCAA tournament right now, used to being in the Sweet 16 and playing to try to get to the Final Four. Um, and I'm sure the fans are not really interested in IT, which is unfortunate. But so how do you how do you fix that though, right? Because you know everybody, because no matter who you talk to, and and I agree, I think everybody, any coach will tell you they want it for their kids. But so whether that's Oregon or South Alabama or Spring Hill or the University of Mobile or women's basketball all over the country, like it, it seems like everybody's fighting for that same entertainment dollar. There's only so much that goes around, right? So how do you how do you attract folks above and beyond being really good and and, and being competitive? I don't know if I if I had the answer to that I probably would be a millionaire. Uh, I don't I don't know how to do it. I think I think a lot of it has to do with where you're at, you know, and and your fan base. I mean, there's there's schools out there that you know have winning ten games late in the year and they'll sell their place out because that's what they do there. They love hoops. You know, it's like you know Dayton, who's traditional power. They've sold out a record, I don't know how many games in a row, and they've had, you know, plenty of years in between there where they hadn't been to the NCAA tournament or they hadn't been in contention to win win the A-10 because they love hoops there. I think some places, they love other sports, and I think some places are indifferent. They They don't really have that pride in where they're at, that institution, and you know, you don't get a lot. You know, Grand Canyon is a good example. They they have like a class. Some kids get credit for going to the games. So it's like a attendance class or whatever. I don't know how they do it, but that's one way probably. If if you got a few classes where you compile a bunch of students, you know, 500 students, and that's part of their grade is you show up and you go to the games. I, mean, I think that would help a little bit. Yeah. But wow. I, I don't – yeah. I, yeah, if you watch a Grand Canyon game, it's not. Every single game is like that, and, and that's a big reason why. Um, so it's a creative idea that, you know, make sure you get those people in there. All right, I know uh, you told us. Oh, I'm sorry, go I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. I, I didn't mean to. Go ahead. No, you guys go for it. I'm good. Okay. Uh, you said you had a couple of brackets in the family. How's your bracket doing now in your household? Not too bad. I still got the chance. I still got the um, my champion still alive and my national championship game still alive. Um, I think out of the 16, I think I got 10. That's not too bad. There's been a lot of upsets. Obviously, I had Purdue in there. 
Um, I had Arizona in there. I had Arizona going to lead eight and playing Alabama. So I missed that one. But I, I've had some good picks. My final four is I got three of them that are still alive. Um, so so we'll see if I can we'll see if I can beat. There's nothing more gratifying than winning a bracket with with your family. Uh, you know, there's no money involved or anything like that. It's just bragging rights. And my kids are getting old enough now where they really understand what's going on. You know, and my wife is super competitive. Jess is competitive. We've been doing brackets against each other since we met like 17 years ago. So we um, we, we take a lot of pride in it. So I'm hoping for a win. Are you are you currently in better shape? Is your bracket in better shape than her her bracket is right now? Yeah, I mean I'm in the lead right now. I think me or Rock, because Rock's got Alabama winning it, and I got Alabama winning it. Um, Reese had Purdue winning it, so obviously that hurt him. And um, I feel like Jess has Houston winning it. I think. So she's still got a champion alive. But um, I picked a couple of upsets in there that that played out pretty good for me. Um, I, I went with Michigan State to get to the Sweet 16, and they, they're in there. I think I, I think I might have them in the Elite Eight, so I'm able to win one more. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I'm in a pretty good spot as long as as long as long all the guys that I got going all the way to the end can, can stay in the mix. All right, I just didn't know because you and Jess are so competitive if maybe, like, loser has to make dinner for a week or, like, fold the laundry or something. Or uh, I just didn't she know. Don't, she don't want. She she don't want that. Oh, okay. She, she definitely don't want that. She would. Um, she don't. She even, don't want the smoke. I can't even make grilled. Che- I can't even make grilled cheese. So it would be me going out and getting dinner. That, uh, was, that would be the well, deal. I can't. I can't cook anything. There's some advantages to that too. So when you when you go up to pick, pick up dinner, do, do people recognize you around here? They do. They're starting to recognize me more. You know, I've been here for five years. Um, heading into year six next year, so I do. We're we're out in the community a lot too. My kids play a lot of different sports, and you know we go to church at Day Spring. You know, there's a lot of people who go to church over there, and, and then we go out to eat, and we do a lot of things in the community. So it's it's been good that way. It's the longest I've ever been anywhere, and I've really enjoyed that part of it because there's so many good people in in Mobile, and getting to know more people as you go through and. You know, being more recognizable, um, it, it's fun. I mean, we're—I I love living in Mobile. It is—I I, can't—I can't think of any place that I'd rather be living. We, we're having a blast. Rupp Arena, Kentucky, maybe. <laughs> Since you're from the state yeah, of Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah. The weather's not—you know—you know, my son is is really, really taking off in this golf. And the weather in Kentucky is not, you can't play golf year-round. Down here, you can you can, you can get out there and hit them year-round, so that's part of it. And I, I just love it down here. It's, you know, I'm we're both, Jess and I are both from the country, you know, small towns in Kentucky, small country towns. So both of us are very, it's hard, it would be hard for us to live in a big city. So Mobile is like the perfect city. You know, it's not too big. It's not too small. You know, you got everything that, you know, any type of restaurant. There's all kinds of things to do. It's a great place to raise your kids. Um, so it, it's really the perfect place for us. And I, I'm thankful we get to live here. It's It's been really good. We've had a blast over the last five years. Richie Riley joining us. So kind of a hypothetical question. Uh, Rick Pitino was introduced as the next coach at St. John's. He's 70 years young. 
gets a six-year contract, which would obviously take him to 76 if he stayed there. Can you see yourself coaching when you get to be 70? No, I, I cannot. <laughs> uh, I can't. I'm 40 right now. I just turned 40 in January. Oh, you're a man. Years from now. I've been, I've been, a, I'm a man. I'm 40. Right. <laughs> I've, been, I've, been a, I've been a head coach for seven years, and I've been coaching since I was 19 years old. Um, so I don't think so. You know, if you're fortunate enough, I don't know why he would do this. I mean, it's just, I, I think as coaches, sometimes the basketball being a basketball coach and the success and chasing this and chasing that. If, if you're not careful, it, becomes, it defines you, who you are. And I, you know, when I was a little younger, it really defined who I was. And now that I have a family with kids, I, you know, it doesn't define who I am anymore. Now do I, do I put a ton of energy into this and, you know, give it everything obviously i do you know i'm very you know i say my faith my family and then hopes and that's what it is you know so so obviously it is incredibly important to me and it is who i am in a lot of ways but when i get to that age i want to enjoy my whatever my kids are doing you know i've hopefully i'm financially stable you know where i or you can do that you know that plays a part in it but yeah you, you only live one life and you know, a lot of guys will coach till they're 80 years old, and I don't know how much more you got left after that. And coaching basketball, if you do it the right way, it consumes your time. The majority of you don't have very much free time. So if I'm fortunate enough at that age um, to be able to retire and, and enjoy the rest of my days with my family, then... segment of the day uh, our thanks to uh, all the fine folks who uh, who joined us here on wnsp what you got cooking for tomorrow sir i'll tell you the truth right now not too much mark uh, i'm gonna let the day play out all we right we'll talk to paul tomorrow hopefully that will happen and we're going to visit the tuscaloosa campus and also auburn we have guests there other than that it's pretty much up up in the air right now to see if anything really takes place today uh and 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 again i don't have you know i don't have a clue as to what our headlines are going to be for tomorrow so maybe you can help me out i like it uh by the way you know uh, who's celebrating a birthday today william shatner is trending wow he's 92 years old did you see where he's going to do a documentary he's going to do a documentary on his life and i think I don't know if it's going to be on Hulu or Prime or Netflix, but uh, I saw he was interviewed. He said, you know, I don't have that much time left. Of course, he, you know, you don't know, I mean, you know, at that age, but, uh, you know. Oh, I think he does. I think that's why he said you it. Know, I don't know. You, 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 know, you know. you get into your 90s. I mean, you're playing with house money. Dick Van Dyke just uh, he oh, he just amazing. got into an accident actually uh, last week. It was just reported he's ninety seven. He was driving at ninety seven. Yeah, amazing. his Lexus single car accident. I have a story, but I don't think we have enough time on driving at that age. But I I won't I won't bore you with it. Maybe some other time. By the time you're that age, you'll have like self driving Prius Priuses. What's the plural Prius? Hey, by Pri- the way, speaking of that, yesterday I I stopped at. Uh, 
Planet Fitness to do my workout. I get out of my car. Somebody comes by and she says, hey, I just want to tell you, you got a really nice looking car. Ooh, is that code? That? Is that code in the fitness world? There it is. To draw. Never mind. No. I just went and did my workout. Good for you. You weren't taking the bait. Nope. Nice looking car. Kind of like when people call up and tell Nick what a how important he is to this show. So you just made it up? Oh, no, I didn't make oh. it up. I wouldn't oh. make something like that up. I wouldn't even think about making something like that up. That's the first time I've somebody's ever... No, it's not the first time. I've actually had other people tell me that. All right. Well, for Nick and the ladies, man, Lee Shervanian over here. I'm Mark Heim. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. Until then, see ya!